I'm Johnny Francis, CMN contributor. I know a lot of times I'm walking around saying, I don't know, but you know what I do know? That's your job. And your job is supporting the Illuminati. That's right, Johnny. Barron's only here, CMN production manager. Every year we take time out of our broadcast schedule to run our Illuminati pledge and recruitment drive. We need your help to continue the global conspiracy that directs the course of your daily existence. We need money and bodies to stuff the coppers of our secret machinations, and we're calling on you to give in any way you can. Look, I may not know about all that, but here's the thing. If you want to contribute in the next hour, you will be entered into a drawing to receive two tickets to the Skull and Bone Society's annual duck orgy. That's right. You and a friend or loved one can get groped by George Bush's nephew and other rejects of the wealthy elite. But you gotta call now or astral project into our spirit traps. Operators and mediums are standing by to take your donations right now. That's right, Johnny. And we thank you. We know that you've chosen to make CNN a daily part of your life. We want that to keep going, but the only way that that can happen is if the Illuminati allows us. Right now, they have my wife and kids, and I don't know what else to say, guys. <laughs> they've, they've got them. Yes, Johnny Francis has actually been turned into a strange caricature by the machinations of the Illuminati, and he is unable to keep from talking like this, and he's very, very scared. Now, let's go to those wild and possibly unstable anchors with the CMN pod. The first AR was the Great Spirit. In the second AR, men knew me as the Horn God. Pangenitor, Panthage. In the third aeon, I was the Dark One, the Devil. In the fourth aeon, men knew me not, for I am the Hidden One. In the fifth aeon, I appeared before you as Baphomet, the God before all gods who shall endure to the end of the earth. In this new aeon, I appear to you as C-M-N. Imagine that there is a brilliant white light just above. It's commentary on the magic art. In the years of the primal form, the dawn of terrestrial birth. Oh, that was very educational. Now magic will take place. Don't be fooled by what. This is CMN. Welcome, everybody. Welcome. I am Shigeru Miyamoto Kennedy, and this is Chaos Magic News, the only news outlet actively thriving off of the existential dread of existence. As always, I'm joined by my copyrightable co-host, OC No Steel. How you doing, No Steel? I feel both original and marketable. (laughs) You, we've never felt marketable on here yet. That's interesting. Uh, uh, yeah, we'll we'll see how long that lasts. <laughs> All right, but everything good. How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good. As well, usual. I, well, I'm actually recording from my girlfriend's apartment right now, so 
if there's any weird house noises or a particularly uppity dog that starts in, I apologize. <laughs> That's funny. I'm actually recording in my kitchen today in my quest to record in every area of my apartment. So we're both in different places. That's cool. I look forward to the bathroom episode. <laughs> All right. Just the shower running in the background. <laughs> All right. So our intro topic today. Where's we're my towel? <laughs> our intro topic today was going to be pop magic, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I feel like um, as part of our. Road to Relier, where we get into the Lovecraft special, which I believe we decided is going to be the Christmas episode. Yep, yep. So, so look forward to that around another, Christmas another time. Another week or two. Yeah. Oh, God, <laughs> it's so close. I know, I know. But, I mean, I guess but that's good because be we're cool. actually in Advent now. Yeah, we are. We are. It's a very the, magical it's time. It's the third now, so. Yeah, yeah, we we almost touched on that <clears throat> last episode with the whole secular versus sacred times. Mm-hmm. So in a completely different direction, then we're going to talk pop magic, which arguably destroys any concept of the sacred versus the secular, I suppose, in magic. Well, I could make the argument. I could definitely make the argument that it doesn't, but it's more about what you do with it. So what made you want to bring up pop magic anyway? Because this was your idea. Well, like I said, as part of the almost the primer to the Cthulhu talk where it's it's the idea that came about mostly due to chaos magic, that something doesn't have to have a historic or traditional validity to it to be useful or in another way that we all sort of acknowledge that fiction and um, the the lesser end of mythology, as it were, really has a, a really noticeable impact on the brick and mortar of reality. There's the whole thing about Bugs Bunny is the reason that Nimrod means idiot instead of biblical king who was a renowned hunter. Yeah, actually, and they're even more so um, Mel Blanc ended up in a coma after a car wreck and what brought him out of it was someone asking Bugs Bunny how he was doing today. And, you know, Mel responded as the Bugs obvious Bunny. what's what's up doc. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's the, there is that exceed. And that's a, that's a super interesting one because there's that notion of when you embody a character, you're almost trying to bring about a, a separate personality. Character actors will do so much to remain as this particular person rather than breaking away and being who they normally are. And I'd, I'd make the argument that those characters are, despite having that lack of point to them where are they 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 have a reality to them that is just as important as any spiritual you know uh humdrum that you could point to any you know the idea that the idea that zeus poseidon jesus krishna are more real than bugs bunny superman or an optimus prime I, I can make arguments that 
they're just as easy to call up and interact with and in a lot of ways more so. I mean, there's probably more movies that have Bugs Bunny and Superman and Optimus Prime than there are Jesus, Krishna, and, you know, the whole rest of them, at least, at least in the past, you know, 20, whatever years. I know there's Jesus movies and Krishna movies and stuff like that, but you get the point I'm saying. They're all, they're arguably more alive in the popular conscious of all of us than some of these more historical entities. Right. But I think it it goes back to a sort of idea of, I think Peter Carroll in the, the interview with the wizard thing was talking about it, right? How many, he, he made the argument that a lot of pagans in the modern age sort of view gods as egregores and various spirits and entities being thought forms or servitors. And I don't know if I'm, I don't know if I'm okay with that. I don't know if that's particularly in the, in the non Cartesian way that I argue that the mind isn't this thing that dictates reality and alters it on the basis of pure thought. But I will say that I think fictional characters have an existence unto themselves. Even, yeah, even as you said, like, you know, people like characters like Bugs Bunny and God forbid fucking Mickey Mouse. Mickey Mouse doesn't have a fucking soul. Um, they have a they have a, a, a genuine impact on reality and how we view it. It's almost like. You know, Mickey Mouse and Bugs Bunny exist because you can almost imagine how they would react in situations. You can imagine like what Bugs Bunny would say. And you can imagine the way they exist as a person. They have a definitive sort of personality. Yeah, for sure. For sure. And there's there's a lot of that that goes into the notion of archetypes as far as the, the Jungian sense or maybe a less, you know, maybe a more cultural archetype sense where if there's enough body of work surrounding a particular character or an idea that sort of presents this character as having these qualities and acting this way that sticks with people, not just on an individual, but on a cultural level, you know, when Batman started in the comics, he used guns, but now we all popularly understand Batman does not use guns or Superman couldn't fly and then he now everybody knows Superman flies or you know uh the I'm trying to think of like a better uh I'm trying to think of an example that might fit that isn't comic books but you you get what I'm saying and while these characters are reinterpreted and sort of slightly changed over time the same could be said about God's spirits and people even historical people are reinterpreted and reunderstood throughout history. Look at the founding fathers. Yeah, yeah, that's an accurate. That's accurate. I guess my question turns into as far as using these sorts of figures for magic, or even because pop magic extends beyond just like invoking the sun god archetype with Superman, using fictitious symbols or fictitious systems of magic, right? Yeah, making things up wholesale is really an extension of pop magic. But I think we can focus it in on the idea of 
using things that are by their own admission fictional and operating with them as if they're real. I think that would be the crux of what pop magic is. Okay. So what's, why should people be interested in it? Do you think, is there actually a utility to trying to like, I don't know, call up some sort of Lovecraftian entity from a spell you cobbled together out of reading a Lovecraft book? Well, my answer to that is that magic isn't real. So it has no utility and you shouldn't do it. No, 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 no. But it's that it always goes to that thing of uh, if we're going to talk psych model, it could be beneficial to use symbols and imagery that you're honestly more familiar with or perhaps resonate with you in a way that the stuff you robe tradition stuff doesn't. And then on the, the, the basis of the whole hog, as I said in previous episodes, where you buy into this wholesale that this makes stuff happen on a, a level and I'm, I do a spell and this thing happens. There's the idea that by doing this, you can get closer to understanding what you're really doing. If your whole understanding of magic is reliant on the idea that there are certain real entities that you can call on and then there's fake nonsense then you're pigeonholing yourself in a very small understanding if somebody can make magic work using lovecraft or using grant morrison's entire comic book pantheon as he's talked about before or bugs bunny or you know mickey mouse <laughs> calling up if, john lennon with can, acid and pictures everywhere yeah call him. exactly if you can if you can make things happen or again even on the psychological if you can make weird kooky things happen in your head using these things without relying on the trappings of old world mysticism then that says something important and that can get you to a better understanding. I don't think anybody ever stays in back to the Gordon White quote of chaos magic as the big airport where lots of people coming and going. Nobody stays. I really think no one stays in pop magic. Well, it, it's hard to I don't, right? it's it's hard to yeah. justify it in a way. I suppose the only thing that would ever get me to stay in a paradigm like that to begin with would be that I just got amazing results that were never replicated elsewhere. If I just mm-hmm. did better by, you know, um, I don't know, using nothing but magic based on my little pony. And I didn't get any better results from anything else, then I would just stick with that on the basis of, well, this actually works. So. That would have to also involve I, like doing so much analysis that I couldn't imagine any other alternative than, well, when I put on the, uh, when I, when I pull up my altar with Fluttershy on it, I do better than any other time. And I can't come up with a reason for it other than it's the Fluttershy altar. You know what I mean? Like right, it would, right. it would be that I would, it, it would be to the point that I had no other option than to accept that my little pony magic worked better than other magic which hasn't happened to me ever. Now, I think that what's really notable is that Grant Morrison, 
who big proponent one of I think one of the people that probably gave the slightest hint of validity to this sort of thing. He was an example of somebody who did magic through comic books and by his own admission did stuff with comic book characters and described the quote unquote shamanic experience of meeting somebody in this Superman suit while he was getting ready to write all-star Superman stuff like that. So he has the spooky experiences or John Constantine where Alan Moore claims to have seen him once in a ritual and then once just walking by where it's like, that's, that's John. What, what the hell? It's notable that the, these two were writers. These aren't just guys that read the stuff. These were guys that in a way were much like the actors, not breaking character. These were people breathing life into these ideas. So I think that in a way, those two are far more, far better equipped to do that sort of thing and have those sort of experiences than most people. If you just, if you just like watched the Batman movies and you're like, I'm going to call him up, you know, you might not have an easy time because you might, you might at the end of the day, not actually have that great of a rapport as it were with this whatever you'd want to call it, thought form. And I, I never really like this notion that if a bunch of people think in their head that something is real, like it becomes real. I just don't really get behind that. I think that there's something probably a lot stranger going on. I understand the notion of like consensus reality, but I don't think like, I don't think something becomes like a deity just because everybody deified it, if that makes sense. And that would go into the archetype thing where a lot of these pop culture icons are representative of a certain ideal or notion with a certain cultural dressing over them. Right. And I I think that's my big takeaway from the superhero magic in particular. I don't think that that's a particularly useful model because no one actually believes in Superman. Everyone understands Superman. Superman exists as Superman, the character. No one actually believes in Superman, but people have done magic with Superman, and it's not because a bunch of them secretly think that Clark Kent's running around in some non-existent Ohio town. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, if if that's how it worked, then, you know, kids all over the world would be getting coal in their stockings because they think they know deep down they're little shits. (laughs) Well, and I mean, and that's, what I what I think it's good for it goes back to the same thing I always rant about. It's the way we make phenomena intelligible. And if using Superman or using the imagery of fictional characters or the trappings of them makes a phenomena intelligible to you, then great. I don't think that's the same as making it real or more importantly. And that's real in quotes, but well, yeah. yeah, I mean, like it it's it's not at least on the basis of this phenomena doesn't exist because you believe in it. The phenomena exists. Right. You're making it make sense to you in a certain kind of way through these practices. Right. 
Right. The I other agree. thing I think goes back to the fact that you brought up your your uh, your fighter, Grant Morrison. I'll bring up the other magic comic book heavyweight, Alan Moore. Alan Moore has not got very good opinions on this sort of thing anymore. Oh, no. I said round about 2011 that I thought it had a serious and worrying implication for the future if millions of adults were queuing up to see Batman movies. Because that kind of infantilization, the urge towards simpler times, simpler realities, can very often be a precursor to fascism. I didn't really think that superheroes mm. were adult fare. I think that this was a misunderstanding born out of what happened in the 1980s, to which I must put my hand up to a considerable share of the blame, though it was not intentional when things like Watchmen were first appearing. There was an awful lot of headlines saying comic books have grown up. And that's more talking bad about comic book and comic book fandom. But I think as the implication of magic, it's something to actually recognize as well. Well, I would make the counterpoint that I think much of the greater whole of pre-existing religious and magical traditions also have a very, for lack of a better word, infantile notion, you know, or at least the, the modern conceptions of them. Well, that's almost exactly what I was going to get at. I, I think that, I mean, I think that there's a very deep and interesting way of thinking about various magical systems through history that has a lot of, theological implication as well as ethical um as well as ethical but you're you're correct in that the way we view most of these religions now is very very simplified and very stupid well there's also a lot of very black and white morality too right there's the good gods and there's the evil demons and this that and the other and then there's the counterpoint of people trying to rehabilitate Satan and Hades. Well, and, yeah, but they do that uh, crap with uh, the Joker, too, and Harley Quinn. Yeah, absolutely. We're just obsessed with the idea it's, it's of taking... It's a lot more similar. Well, yeah, well, I guess... Well, yeah, we're agreeing there, I guess, because I was going to say, I think we have yeah. an obsession... We have an obsession with the idea of taking these hard and fast moral ideas and then flipping them on their head for the sake of entertainment. But we never do it in a way that's actually meaningful. We just make Harley Quinn a good guy or (laughs) we make Harley Quinn a good person. You know, we make Harley Quinn. We make Harley Quinn a hero. We um, give the Joker a sad backstory that makes you sympathize with them. As far as magic, I think there's definitely systems and ideas where you can wrap yourself up in a whole lot of inner turmoil of and conflict trying to wrap your head around it. I mean, like Buddhism is the easy one when you when you listen to some of these non-dual interpretations where they say samsara and nirvana are one and everything is perfect when the in this moment and then you're looking at like even just looking at your mundane life where it's like, God, everything's perfect right now. Are you sure? <laughs> and that can be a, a, a challenge or, or Crowley's, you know, existence is pure joy. Those sort of things. I, I think those can present at least somewhat better notions than the good guy. There's the good God and then there's the devil or there's the, there's the, 
the ideal God that I worship, who is my super cool guy. And then there's all the other ones that I don't care about, like that sort of thing. I think the interesting thing about pop magic really comes down to being able to do things that we accept we don't actually believe, things that we don't think have a reality unto themselves, and how they can be rendered into something that gets results. I think that's the interesting well, thing. Well, and about there's it. also the idea there's also the idea that if you didn't believe it, you wouldn't be doing it. I've heard that I've heard that premise being made before that the the act of doing it should be sufficient enough belief to get results. And then I think to to sort of turn that around, I think that the way you actually go about changing your beliefs is in the doing. You don't just decide I'm going to believe this now. You have to follow through on it consistently even changing a belief is actually very difficult yeah i i'm i'm in full agreement there i was going to talk about meta belief because that was a term that herbert dreyfus had used that i'd seen before and i was surprised that they would use it i think that's what it ultimately comes down to is having a sort of meta belief that allows you to change beliefs as it were as long as you have that bedrock of the meta belief, you're free to do anything else. Right, right. And that, and then yeah. I guess the issue turns into my big criticism of chaos magic in general is that I don't think it's a, a sufficient meta belief, or at least it's a meta belief that mm. doesn't actually, mm. it's a meta belief that has enough effect on your belief that if we're talking about belief as a tool, then you're already affecting it. I guess it's trying to make as bare a belief as possible so you can still get results. But at any mm. rate, I'm, I'm really curious because this goes into the age old question that the more um, traditional and less belief driven magicians talk about. And I think we have a great example of who to talk about with it as well. It always comes down to why are not why are delusional people not really, really good at magic then, right? That's that's kind of the question is, yeah, it's like if the idea is belief is a tool, then why isn't someone who's absolutely nuts? Why aren't they good at magic suddenly? You know, if if your whole reality is built upon what your brain thinks about reality, why why doesn't the guy that thinks he's Jesus, why can't he faith heal people? Why can't he cure the blind? Yeah, why is he taking his uh why is he taking his pills instead of turning water into wine? Mm-hmm. And the great example that we're so eager I'm eager to talk about it. I <clears throat> go right ahead. It's fucking Chris Chan. It's fucking <laughs> Chris Chan, okay? I'm sorry. It's fucking it's motherfucking it's motherfucking Christine Weston Chandler. Well, look, and I think the, the, the for the, anybody that no, 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 no. For anybody who doesn't know who that is, please just skip over this entire part. <laughs> <laughs> skip over all of it. You don't want to know. <laughs> but if you are going to stay, don't say I didn't warn you because I'm going to give the super short version and I'm going to skip as much as I possibly can. But even that is still going to be depressing insanity. <clears throat> so Christine Weston Chandler 
when they were in their mid twenties, created a comic book called Sonichu, <laughs> which is based on which is a combination, which is a combination of the Pokemon Pikachu and Sonic the Hedgehog. This is a totally original idea and therefore copyrightable and original and marketable as we've alluded to at the beginning of the episode. She doesn't understand a lot of things. She's severely autistic, didn't have a great education and suffers from a lot of untreated sort of mental issues. And this they became a target for derision and harassment. And it's honestly really sad and messed up, but it was basically, they were making this really bad, goofy comic that seemed to already hint that Chris had a lot of magical beliefs already. And it only got worse over time. Now it's at the point where they believe that all fictional characters, including like ones that I just make up. So if I came up with hands, manly, who is just like a set of hands attached to a lamppost there, that's my original character. He exists somewhere off in this other dimension. And I need to reach out and contact him because the goal, the end goal of Chris's whole magical world is to combine our dimension with this OC character dimension where Mario and Goku and Superman and the Ninja Turtles and just every fictional character ever. And then all of like the deviant art uh, fan characters and everything else, all of those people are just there in that dimension. And we're going to combine our dimension with that. And that is going to be like paradise. Chris has also become convinced that she is a goddess of the Commodore video game console because somebody got in her head and told her about an anime that is about like goddesses that are video game consoles. There's like a PlayStation goddess and stuff like that. And then even more recently, she's become convinced that she is Jesus Christ as well, because you know, you, you just got to throw in Jesus at the end. This is like the best crossover ever, man. There's a perverse enjoyment of the insane train wreck, but it's also very sad because this is somebody who sadly didn't get the help they needed. And then also did some really horrible things by the end of all of it too. And I don't want to get into those, but it's, it's, it's become much harder over time to have sympathy for Chris, despite all of the horrible things that have happened to her. And but the more important thing is that as far as like chaos magic or especially pop magic, Chris has an extensive personal cosmology that is cobbled together out of just about every pop culture that you could imagine. Right. And they have and performed twisting. magic. They have performed magic yeah. multiple times, both in the public sphere Cursing and probably privately trying to make things happen. Yeah. Yeah. Loads of it. 
and none of it has and none worked. None of it works. None it's of it all works. Really bi- nah, not, not a bit well, of it works. There, there is the the one argument is that Chris has gotten in legal trouble multiple times, and nothing has ever really stuck to her. She has always gotten a bizarre slap on the wrist, like things that most people would literally just be in prison for. She's gotten like a don't do it again. You know, <laughs> people have made jokes saying it's that, damn it, the magic actually works. But everything else, you know, there's there's no goal that Chris has ever set her mind to where seemingly any of her magic actions have actually come to fruition. So. Even if you believe in magic, you have to look at Chris and go, this is a very unsuccessful magician. Well, I mean, you could always just say that they're not a magician and they're a LARPer, I suppose, which I think people have made the argument that Chris doesn't actually believe anything they say, right? Mm, yeah, but that, that would go back to the LARPer conversation. Right, right. Where if if this is a weird if this is a weird game of make believe for them, which it could be, you know, it, it's it's almost very the the fairy world of children sort of thing. But if if we do make the idea that Chris believes in this or believes in it enough, you know, it, there's a very strange sort of magical underpinning to everything that they do, but. None of it really works. They're, they're living a life that has been filled with a lot of unnecessary suffering and misery. Some of it self-inflicted, a lot of it not. And then they've made other people's lives worse as well. I think it's a great warning for people that are very into the idea of just creating their own personal cosmologies and doing their own magic. Not saying that you shouldn't do these things, but be careful because you could very well end up a uh, end up a Christian where you just have all of these all these fictional things that you deal with and all of these wild and crazy ideas you got and none of them actually do anything but, for but you. Chris, but Chris has Chris has multiple wives and partners now oh, and they're God. all fictional characters. Mewtwo is <laughs> one of them. The Pokemon Mewtwo. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't <laughs> want to be married to that? <laughs> oh, this is awful. I feel so bad. It makes I, I, I don't I don't remember their name because I don't remember anybody, but I remember somebody talking about Ari- being married to Eris. And it's like you picked the wrong one, fam. <laughs> <laughs> oh, she, she definitely don't want you. I'm sure. <laughs> And and I guess that's also the big difference between having a practice that's based in results of what I did, did it work versus my, uh, my experience and my cosmology and ooh, this and my, my, uh, the world that I'm crafting around myself, you know, because if you create an insulated bubble of spiritual gobbledygook, you're not going to get anything done and just seems to be how it goes because it's so much easier to have experiences and, and kooky stuff going on that don't amount to any concrete changes in anything. And I'm not talking about like doing magic to make your, to do stuff in your own head. If you want to mess with your own head to try to 
make your life better in some way. That's, that is, that's still a change you can point to where it's like, I was like, I used to be afraid of spiders and now I, you know, or whatever the fuck, but we're talking about people that like, Oh, I got a message from my spirit guide that said this. And it's like, well, what'd you do about it? Nothing. (laughs) (laughs) I went on Facebook and I told people or, or like people that talk about their, they're far more interested in talking about the weird things that happen to them rather than pointing at what it's actually done for them. The, the, here's the question is why is Chris a failure besides the fact that on the, just the baseline material conditions, they were, they were batting with just about every handicap you could imagine. Yeah. Well, I think the easiest thing to say about Chris is just that they're not a very good magician. I think they had all these ideas beforehand in what way? I think they had all of these ideas of I can do these things and never gave a rat's ass about whether or not it really worked and never probably changed anything when it didn't work. Their idea of magic, I mean, they're not mm. even really a magician. They're someone that tries to perform magic, but they're not, they don't have any sort of, you know, they have an overarching system that doesn't make any sense because it's just cobbled together out of nonsense that they think. Nothing, nothing was actually involved in creating this beyond fantasy not even a greater sort of symbolism that is attributable to it, right? I think a really nice parallel to someone like Chris Chan is someone like William Blake. And William Absolutely. Blake is not so much a magician as happy a mystic. Happy birthday, Will. Yeah, happy birthday, Will. <laughs> we fucking love you. You're our favorite Sagittarius. Sagittarius. Yeah, but, yeah, but William Blake. Notably, notably the man who said... I must invent a system or be enslaved by another's. And he also said a fool who persists in his folly will, will become, become wise, wise, which is what yeah. Chris is doing, I guess. But it's a good argument that it's not they working. They got some persisting. Yeah, they got some persistence. But William Blake's visionary works all have these vastly intricate systems that have all sorts of symbolism taken from other places, very much the Christian and the greater Greco-Roman tradition, I suppose. But there's very much a, a line of symbolism and purpose behind what William Blake created. And that's not really the same as Chris, because Chris just kind of thought, you know, it would be really cool. What if I had Sonic, but it was also Pikachu? And what if I was his dad? <laughs> it's the difference between the imagination as escapist and what William Blake understood the imagination to be as divine faculty through which something is revealed. And that goes back to what you're talking about earlier, the notion that these things don't become real because I imagine them. These things are out there in some sort of way. And I can, I can make contact with them through that imaginative function, imagination or imaginative in the the meaning of the word of the image maker, the thing that, the thing that allows you to put a face on these things, right? The way we render phenomena intelligible, intelligible, Yep, yeah. and I mean, and that's that's yeah. what it comes down to for me. That's why I fucking love Blake so much too. And that's the difference because 
what was Chris trying to make intelligible with what their what and phenomena were they trying to you know the phenomena they were trying to make intelligible? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, it is Advent. <laughs> hey, let's do it together. One, to what you two, were three. And did no, those no, feet no. those feet in ancient times? <laughs> no, we can't. The delay is too much. <laughs> <laughs> okay 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 but oh, right what was you know what the phenomena that chris was trying to make intelligible it was why do i not have any friends why, why do i not have a boyfriend free girl <laughs> right like that's ultimately their magic was in well the, correction yeah you know, well you know see that's the problem i can't say it's not magic in all honesty i can't say that what chris is doing is not magic it's incredibly magic it's just really bad and dumb magic. And I, I say that about people that, that are, that have a lot more serious takes on their magic than Chris, I suppose. Well, I mean, I don't know. Chris takes their magic pretty seriously, but the point being, it's, I like Crowley's answer of you should practice magic because you can't help doing it. And it's better to do it intelligently. Right. Yeah, I can. So maybe that's the answer it. is that Chris, Sure, Chris is definitely doing magic, but it's like They're the really worst magic. It. Yeah, it's the worst magic you could be doing. But you also, we also shouldn't expect much of somebody who is severely handicapped and deranged either. So I'm not chiding Chris for being a bad magician. She's just a good example of someone who arguably did a lot of things right or at least a lot of interesting things as far as magic is concerned but for many 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 reasons they they don't successfully do anything magically all of all of chris's enemies are still around laughing at her there's more of them Almost every day, I'd imagine. Well, there's probably a lot of heat dying down at this point, but I don't want to, like I said, I don't want to get into it. If you know, you know. And if you don't know yet and you're going to look it up, I'm sorry. I'm going to put in but, one quick little clip here and it'll tell everyone what they need to know. English, motherfucker! Oh, oh Jesus. I have one more Crowley yeah. quote just to be an ass and piss off the people that hate Crowley, I suppose. Like, oh my God, these people call themselves chaos magicians. They talked about nothing but Crowley and bitching. Um, he's, but, he's the first chaos magician, so. I mean, yep. Don't add us. Actually, do add us. We will argue about this all day. But, and this goes back to uh, the ultimate inspiration behind all of this, too, because this is Crowley writing to Kenneth Grant. Yeah. This is a terrible defect in your outlook on life. You cannot be content with the simplicity of reality and fact. You have to go off into a pipe dream. And that's not just something for Chris to hear. That's something for all of you people, all of the dear listeners. We love you and we know you're the best magicians in the world. But just remember, that's always potential. Don't don't think that magic is this amazing thing that's going to get you out of all of reality. If anything, magic should make reality even more concrete for you. Yeah. The 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 notion that. You know, here's a here's a good one, because I when when I started talking to my beloved about the weird, spooky stuff that I do, I I told her that, you know, I, I operate on a very basic idea that when I'm doing spooky woo woo stuff, 
I've got my wizard hat on. And I totally buy into this stuff 100%. But when I'm done, I take the wizard hat off and I have to, I put my normal rationalist hat back on. And it's actually a lot more complicated than that because it's not like I I only believe this stuff when I'm doing it. I, I, you know, that's a lie. But the way that I operate and the way I look at reality when I'm not doing, when I'm not actively engaging in this stuff is... I, w- I want to say incredibly grounded, but I can't give myself a compliment, but it's like, I'm not a, uh, you know, I'm, I like to think I'm, I'm pretty rational, skeptical and grounded as far as my day to day life. I don't, despite running a podcast, I don't spend my whole day talking about magic. I don't spend most of my day pouring over occult tombs or anything else. It's like, I just, you know, I, I have a life that is fulfilled in many facets and magic is a very important one, but it's not the only game in town. Yeah. And I, I guess that's the, the real problem with Chris, right? Is that they, they never, they never went outside and touched the grass, right? Touch, touch, touch grass, <laughs> please. <laughs> All right. And with an intro topic that went over way, way long. Let's get into the most beloved segment of the show. That's right. You've been asking for it. What's in the news? Beautiful. Always, always beautiful. So our first headline today is... Elon Musk Twitter risk opening floodgates of hate speech and extremism in India. In India, you say? yeah in india just india just india safe now (laughs) i i don't want to be that guy but i I think india has enough of that problem already well i i'm gonna be honest as far as the whole twitter thing i personally am not noticing that much of a difference not not in that like oh i'm not seeing a lot of hate and craziness I just don't think that Twitter was nearly as well moderated and taken care of as people want to act like it was. And I'm only basing that on my personal experience. I could be dead wrong. I I find that with most social media that it's, it's, if you, if you're trying to find people that have really shitty opinions, you will find like the scum of the earth, just spewing stuff out and nobody's really doing it because most of these things are running on automated systems. And the automated systems never really do that good of a job. Yeah. And if they don't run on automated systems, they run on accepted practice. And it gets easy because if you know what people are going to do most of the time, you can avoid it and you can still say your shitty nonsense. It's pretty simple. Yeah. It's not hard. Yeah, it's true. Um, Just in the sake of uh, trying to make sure these headlines stay with a magic perspective. What do you think the magic of trying to say that it's just about India is? Do you think that's like a, a Western liberal sort of a like heart pull moment where it's like, oh, we'll we'll say it's causing problems in India. That'll make people care because I don't care if shit goes bad in America. Everything. Everyone thinks it's terrible here. Mm, that's an interesting thought of the the framing it in a different. But it, it, it's probably genuine. It probably that somebody found some noticeably escalated examples of like, no, in India's Twitter is completely fucking losing it. And that might be that might be all it is. But 
that is a good i that is a good premise of the idea of the the magic of the magic of words of how you phrase or frame something with your words makes the world a difference i remember reading a thing about how english were were far more likely to assign blame when something like if so and so walks into a room sits in a chair and then the chair breaks we're we're far more inclined to phrase it as so and so broke the chair rather well some other languages might at the very least they put the chair broke at the forefront of it rather than immediately establishing person who did what they did and then the thing they did it to it's also the thing you see with you see it's the thing you see with police a lot too you know <laughs> or they'll they'll change the they'll they'll frame the story of uh when when a police officer gets shot or when it's a a victim they want you to feel sorry for it's like someone was murdered or uh you know but when it's someone they don't want you to feel sorry for it's or someone the police killed they'll use softer passive language where it's man dies after police shoot him a hundred times in the back (laughs) well speaking of which he did nothing wrong. Family of Texas entrepreneur fatally shot by police says he was defending his home. Another day in the USA. Mm-hmm. Rajan like, Raj just... Moon Singh, 33, had returned from a trip and suspected his home had been burglarized during the early morning hours of November 15th. That's when he held a rifle outside his front door and was encountered by an Austin police officer who quickly shot him while almost simultaneously ordering Moon Singh to drop the gun, relatives say. And nothing will happen. This just goes back to the, there's no faith in institutions. We all, anyone who is anti-innocent people getting shot, I'll put it there. I'll, I'll use my, my tricky language there. If you're not about people being shot for doing nothing wrong, you already don't think that, there, you already know in your head there's going to be no justice for this family or for this man who was shot because the people that are supposed to keep you quote unquote, keep you safe from people shooting you are the ones that did it. There's no, there's no faith in institutions here. It just doesn't. Yeah. There's nothing to be. Nothing matters. Yeah. Nothing matters. And then the, and then the, and then again, using my tricky language, the people that are bootlickers that really just get off on loving authoritarian yahoos will line up to give every reason in the world for why it was totally okay that the man that was charged with upholding the law took another life. And this happens across the country every single day. Nebraska man gets prison for leaving noose for coworker. The Nebraska U.S. Attorney's Office said Bruce Quinn, 63, was sentenced Friday to four months in prison and one year of supervised release for leaving the noose for his coworker to find. So he was trying to intimidate his presumably of color coworker. Yeah, that's the long and short of it. He, he put a he made an, a noose out of orange twine and then left it for uh, left it on a, a, a scrubber that his coworker was going to use. That's so weird and shitty. Yeah. Well, this, like, I don't, this is another it, attempt at magic going wrong, right? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, you're trying to use a symbol to, 
really show it up to him. I guess it's also the thing of don't get caught, but you know, I'm, I'm glad this guy did get caught because that's just, fu- you know, you're, you're a fucking bigot. And it's one of those things that I don't know what law was broken there. Some, it was a, it was a civil rights is it case, like, obviously. So what was it? Well, it, it was it? the, well, it's like, it's the no, federal it's like, I understand, civil like, rights violation. Okay. Okay. I didn't know if it was like the idea of like, it was the threat of death or the intimidation. It was one of those that I wasn't, I'm honestly just not sure of the legality of something like that, where it's like, is it, is it illegal to try to intimidate? I guess if you make somebody fear for like, if you're doing that, like a threat, I get that's, that's what it's gotta be. Right. It's like, cause that's a threat basically. Right. Yeah. That's what the, 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 the man who was um, who found it said he feared for his life. I mean, yeah, I totally get it. It's, it's, you know, like I said, if it is, it's, it's racially motivated. I'm presuming it doesn't, it doesn't specifically say white man left noose for, I'm assuming that's what it is. And you said civil rights, it's just really shitty and bigoted. And it does also go to the power of symbols. I guess that's a, it's a real, that's a real dodgy symbol to try to use with anybody. All right, so what else we got on the headline front? Would you like to hear my Parrot Steals earpiece headline? Obviously, we got to hear that. You even give me enough shit about not having good headlines. Yeah, for for people who don't know, the Parrot earpiece headline was the thing that made me say in the middle of an episode, Jesus, we got to get better headlines. But I found a really awful one that is just like, I got to say something, because then I get to have the shitty headline this week. Florida woman is suing Kraft for $5 million, saying Velveeta microwave mac and cheese takes longer to make than advertised. <laughs> That's actually really great because I just saw the thing about the documentary for the, the man who sued Pepsi for a, for a fighter jet. Was it like a contest that he didn't get it? Or He saw a commercial where it was like showing stuff you could get with your Pepsi points. And it was for like some ridiculously big number and you'd get a fighter jet. Oh, but they, they were like, no one could get that. Many no points. one's actually getting yet. Yeah, no one like people clearly realize that we don't expect anyone to actually get this amount of points, but this man did and he didn't get a fighter jet. I didn't get my fighter jet. Did they give him a fighter jet or no? No. <laughs> what do you mean? He, he didn't, super didn't duper Pepsi... lost that lawsuit. Didn't, didn't Pepsi get paid? With like uh like naval ships and stuff at one point, they probably have a fighter jet laying around. <laughs> Are you talking about like how Pepsi was like the recognized soft drink of the Soviet Union or something? No, no, no. maybe that was it. But I, no, I just remember some weird story where it's like some country owed Pepsi a lot of money and they were like, well, we can't give you any money, but we do have these naval ships. And they were like, all right, well, man, take I want to be, I want to be a Pepsi rear admiral. That sounds dope off the coast, finding new Whatever flavors, floats your boat. Oh, I hate you, but right. So Mac and cheese lady is the, are, yeah, are lawsuits, a- are frivolous lawsuits, good magic. Um, well, back to the idea of how you frame things in narratives. There's definitely a great sort of magic going on with people that is manipulating you into thinking that lawsuits that are actually really fucked up 
are frivolous. There's the 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 famous really McDonald's redeem. one, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Where, where it's like, make, oh, they, they make was, this woman they, they, look they, like a yeah. They made this woman look like an insane person. Like, oh, who didn't think the coffee was supposed to be hot? <laughs> where it's like, no, it was actually like bad enough that it it burnt her skin, and she had to get you know she had to get skin grafts and such. But oh, ha ha ha! And there was like, there's no earthly reason it should have been that hot or anything like that. You know that sort of thing. Uh, let me look at the article. Uh, Amanda Ramirez has filed a proposed five million class action lawsuit. So she's not asking for this personally. <laughs> that would be a great deal more ballsy. But right there, right in the headline, it's woman suing for five million rather than class action, which is you know like a huge, lots of people can get in on it sort of thing. Mm-hmm. They filed the suit November eighth. The it claims that ready in three and a half minutes is false and misleading. The product instructions say to microwave the cup for three and a half minutes, but Ramirez attorneys argue this number doesn't account for the other four steps required to prepare the pasta, removing the lid and sauce pouch, adding water, microwaving, stirring. According to the court documents, additional steps mean it's impossible for the Mac and cheese to be ready in just three and a half minutes. So this, this court case is probably going to be settled by a speed run. (laughs) <laughs> they're gonna whip they're gonna whip out the cup and be like all right start start get it in the microwave oh oh god oh god time time lady time. you're just bad oh, at no. making mac and cheese it's not our fault yo mama's yeah, so yeah, slow she your... can't cook instant macaroni <laughs> oh god yo mama's so slow it takes five minutes to make minute right yeah whatever that's interesting because i can say having used those microwave mac and cheese things before that even if we're just going by the cook time it's not three and a half minutes i've never like not to not to be fucking andy rooney here and be like you know what bothers me (laughs) but it's but for real like i you know i made those things before and it's like no you do three and a half minutes then you look at it there's still like there's still surplus water you give it a stir you put it in for another minute and then you pray and it's like, all right. And then you eat it and it's bad and you regret eating. It. And you're like, why did I make, why did I even buy these? No faith in our institutions. You can't even trust craft macaroni. <laughs> Dude, you definitely can't trust craft. <laughs> My God. Oh boy. All right. Okay. But that, but yeah, like even then, like I haven't even gotten through the rest of the article yet. And already we're seeing what the, the magic of what headlines do and how they present things and what this actually means. Unfairly profiting off of false advertising of the cups because customers trust the well-known brand to be honest with them. No, no, they don't. They definitely don't. Do we want to talk about the Balenciaga scandal? We can. Yeah, sure. All right. Well, what do you know about it? I don't even know how to pronounce it, apparently. (laughs) Well, earlier this month, Balenciaga dropped its holiday ad campaigns featuring children holding teddy bears in bondage harnesses and costumes. You already know where this is going, don't you? Yeah. Oh, yeah. in, In the most honest sense, like, do I think it's like trying to normalize pedophilia or anything like that? Not really. I don't. I think that's like a level of insidiousness that these people wouldn't even stoop to. All they were trying to do was put out an ad that would be controversial. 
Like, it's not like the kids are wearing that's bondage sort of harness the- and stuff. It's like they're holding a teddy bear that's got like a gimp suit on kind of thing going. And it's like now the it's 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 now. Do you think that's what the goal was, was that it's like we're going to make an ad that is going to thrive off of the controversy? Uh, yeah, that's exactly what I think. Mm-hmm. I think companies like Balenciaga are too conscious of like money and bullshit like that to have not been like a oh, yeah here we'll go we'll just make well, fucking we'll make tons of fucking headlines off of this shit and and the worst they well, knew that the, it was something that they would get like a certain group of the population to be railing against and another group would be supporting it just to be fighting against them you know obviously conservatives yeah. were going to be like up in arms about this and now they got well-meaning libs saying that it's okay for little kids to have bondage suit teddy bears that was the goal because well, who buys balenciaga yeah yeah that's true now, the other thing that it comes down to is sort of uh, material analysis, right? What's the profit? What is the profit motivation for normalizing pedophilia? Selling them gimp suits. If you believe, yeah. Now, if you believe that there's some sort of weird, shadowy machinations that are working to subvert cultural norms for insidious purposes, I mean, yeah, but they're usually about making would, money. <laughs> Yeah, but normally they're about normally what corporations are interested in is maximizing profits. So this was probably just a calculated gamble on the part of ad execs to do something to stir up problems. And but then you get fucking libs that are going to defend what is honestly kind of just weird and stupid. It's just it's fuck. Yeah, it's dumb. It's weird. And it's it's not something that. I think most people would be cool with like maybe like as an advertisement, it's one thing, but the reality of it, I mean, like if you went over to a friend's house who has children and their kid was walking around with like leather daddy teddy bear, wouldn't you be like, there's something really fucked up going on in this house? Oh, that's Richard dildo. That's his favorite toy. Just a dildo with like Mr. Potato head eyes. Yeah. You'd be like, that's fucking weird. What the hell is going on here? Yeah, what the what the fuck's wrong with you? <laughs> and there is that thing of like, it's not that I don't think children should understand sex, but maybe leave the leather conversation till they're a little fucking older. Leave it in, like how the rest of us had to learn about it. We we have a a a, 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 a tragic moment on the internet. Yeah, we have a tragic oh. moment where we see something weird on the internet, and then we have to go ask an older cousin about it. Like, why do people wear leather? Well. <laughs> Okay, we're going to have this conversation. Yeah, yeah. Uh, But there's that increasing thing of like the sexualization, sexualization of children, I guess, or at the very least, putting children in proximity of things that people view as perverted, you know? And in a real world context, that's incredibly fucked up. As in an advertising context, it's still pretty fucking weird. Like, cause they're, you know, those were child, those were children. Those were actual children. And they're like, here, little Timmy, hold this. Yeah. But, and I understand the idea of trying not to stigmatize those sorts of things. Like, cause I'm sure that some, some BDSM enthusiast that means well is probably having some sort of conversation about how like, well, this was a good opportunity to like educate them when we should let people be more aware of kink and it's like i just don't think we should i don't think there's any utility to it i think kink by definition is something that should be between people that consent to it right 
yeah, that because that, that's like the whole thing of like people that if you see somebody in public like leading their partner around on a leash, it's like those two people consented to that. No one else in the supermarket did. Yeah. You know? Yeah. It's uh yeah, so not cool. Not cool. Call call me a Puritan, but you know, just we'll talk about the arbitrariness of morality like we did last time. It's like I understand that there's nothing inherently wrong with any of these things, but I also know that I get hard when I see leather, so it's a problem for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's awful. All right. How an arcane 96-year-old law stopped the rail strike. This is just libs looking to blame anything other than themselves. Well, that's what they do. No, no, no. You said arcane, like a wizard spell arcane. Like <laughs> yeah, a, exactly. Like, exactly. The, it's ancient, a, the ancient curse of the railway worker. <laughs> the, the hormetic order of Congress casted a magical ritual to keep railroad workers from being able to strike. That sounds very Robert Anton Wilson, where he, he talks about the, the, the Fed's magic wand that renders paper as, ten, as let, uh, whatever the word was, that, that renders a, a $1 bill as a counterfeit and the other dollar bill is legally backed because the Fed has a magic wand that somehow changes its essence. Let's see. Under the Railway Labor Act, the federal agency that oversees railroad and airline labor relations is the National Mediation Board which tries to bring the two sides together and it set up a series of limits and cooling off periods during which unions cannot strike and management cannot lock out the workers. And if all those efforts fail, then Congress can step in and impose a contract under which both sides will have to operate. So basically you're telling me that there's a board that tells the people that are striking that they're not allowed to strike anymore. And if people can't agree with it, then we get, the capitalist to come impose a different one who's going to benefit from that. Mm. Like that almost Mm. that completely defeats the purpose of being able to strike in the first place. What kind of nonsense is that? This, this might've been viewed as the alternative to, well, if they strike, we'll just call the Pinkertons up again and fucking kill them. (laughs) Probably exactly what it is. That's so Yeah. hey, Hey, listen, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's because that's also the 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 ultimate problem is that a lot of these labor movements and strikes and stuff ended in horrific violence and people being killed and put in jail and this, that and the other. So maybe this just seemed like a viable alternative to bloodshed. I mean, sure. Or maybe but- the, maybe the powers that maybe the powers that be saw that overt acts of violence against people protesting. Oh, I can't even say that because look what happens. But maybe they realized how bad it looked on the railroad optics and they were like, well, this might be better. <laughs> watch, watch, watch. There'll be legislation coming down the pipeline to, I, you know, actually, I think there already is some legislation that came down about like things you can and can't do in a protest and this, that and the other. It, and- it always goes back to me that the litigation of protest against the system is completely nonsensical. Because it's rendering it's just nature of a yeah it's just rendering civil disobedience into acceptable limits for people to feel good about themselves while they do while not bringing about any change. Back in the same thing, they want want you to be able. It's the same reason Chris Chan's bad at magic. It's the same reason Chris Chan's bad at magic because 
they come up with a great idea and how it works and they just go with it. And then when it, it doesn't matter that nothing's working because we believe in the system. Yep. Oy. All right. <sighs> you want to end it on Kanye, I suppose. Do we have to? <laughs> no, but I mean, we might as well talk about it. All right. We all know what happens. I'm sure Kanye got banned off of Twitter after Elon said he could come back because he posted a swastika that was also a star of David or something. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it is like, it's so great. It's like when you, it's like, a, you know, all right, Johnny, we're going to let you out of the timeout corner, but you got to promise not to bite anyone. Okay. Gets up immediately bite someone. Exactly. Are you going to, are you going to behave? Yeah. Immediately doesn't. Oh my God. God. Back to the, you remember the, the, the self-destructive conversation with Kanye, right? Like that's exactly what that was. Ye knew that he wasn't going to yeah. be on Twitter long. So he just came back, posted that and said, fuck it. Ban me again. Yeah, man. It's almost like, it's almost like that relationship stuff where you push someone away before they can reject you. <laughs> <laughs> or it's the, it's the, you can't fire me. I quit. <laughs> that's exactly what it was jay was like you can't fire me i'm you can't ban me i'm banned already i'm a ban myself lord help yeah that's that's all that and and i really i really feel like we could do more justice to that conversation about these sort of weird un, unconscious drives and how they manifest but that's absolutely what that is I have one question for you, though, about it. Sure. More than anything, I want to know, is there a magical answer to why Ye went this route? Is there something we can look at and call this like, this is actually a magical phenomenon in here? Because like, the big conversation that people keep having about Kanye is that you, you can't excuse Kanye's anti-Santhrill demons. Well, right. <laughs> The big conversation that people keep having is that Kanye West's mental illness is not an excuse or an explanation for his anti-Semitism. So if that's true, what is the answer? Like, why is Ye suddenly an anti-Semite? Because I don't remember them being an anti-Semite before this. I don't know if someone went and calculated all the whole history of Ye saying well, anti-Semitic things. You know, I, I, I did hear one interesting thing that somebody said, and, and granted, it's so difficult to make sense of any of this but it was interesting because they said kanye's behavior is not because of whatever mental illness he may or may not have what kanye has is a weird idea that people pushing back against him means he's doing something right y you know what yeah yeah i can see that it's weird contrarianism it's the idea of if I think Elon even said something similar where it was like, if both sides are mad at you, you must be doing something right. And it's like, there's never two sides. That's weird binary thinking for one, but also the, the justification that like, if people don't like you or if people are working against you, then you must be doing the right thing is there's a lot of adults lining up to watch Batman. Oh, okay. I guess you're right there. But that that is actually a really good point, I think. More than it's it's something so often it's it's a trope and I think it comes back to the sort of narcissism of modernity too, especially in the states. We all have this sense that we're 
all individuals going our own path. And a lot of the times what that ends up turning into is just being against things that other people like. And more importantly, you're usually filled with some sort of victimized mentality about it too. Like, oh yeah, all these people think this way and it's at a detriment to me. The The real issue being though is that because we never stay that way. We always find people that end up thinking like us in some kind of capacity. And now we're all nonconformists and we're all our own person as we repeat the same talking points about people that we put in parentheses. There's a, there's a method in cults to create group conformity where by sending a person out to essentially proselytize or, or a try to make converts, the consistent rejection that they get because most people are going to tell you to fuck off only reassures them that they are part of the select chosen few who have the answers. Yeah, it's a. Uh... It's something we have to overcome in magic too, especially if we want to live by the maxim that you so adequately put a couple episodes ago that magic is the birthright of all people. It certainly is. But the the problem with that is that like anything else that involves human behavior, there's a, there's a lot of weird foibles to it. And you gotta, you, you gotta deal with it somehow. Somehow. Oh, do we want one more headline? Or are we good? I think I'm good. I think we have a break coming up. Oh yeah. You want to take five? Uh, hold on, hold on. Management is okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They got something. Okay, cool. Thank God. All right. We will be back momentarily. Hey there. Bones only. CNN production manager. It's that time of year again, dear listeners. That's right. It's our Illuminati recruitment drive. Secret societies don't just pop up in the middle of the night to steal children and control geopolitics. It takes you, yes you listeners, to keep the daggers and cloak in our cloak and dagger operation. Blackmail, conspiracy, and human sacrifice only work when you pledge to make the ultimate sacrifice to the new world order. Riches, fame, and wisdom beyond your wildest imagination are only possible with your support. This year, we're looking to recruit at least 777 new neophytes into the outer circle. So call, email, or scrawl your name in bone ash upon the wall of an abandoned church to get started at the greatest service to our shadowy masters. The pleasure of this world will be yours if you forsake the next. And thank you for listening. I'm Johnny Francis. They're holding my wife. Won't you please contribute? That's right, Johnny. They got her. Now let's get back to those kooky cats at the CNN pod. All right. Well, what do we have next? Oh, wait. Well, you don't actually know. Because I came up with this idea and I didn't tell you. (laughs) I was going to take a wild stab at it. but (laughs) Oh, well, go for it. We're going to do an on the air invocation to. The greater cast of Sonic you <laughs> close and you know it's true because it rhymes <laughs> oh damn it all right all right hang on no but what I wanted to do was because it's getting to be that season again right it is advent it is it is advent and you know what that means having to buy shit for people 
So what do you get that magically inclined person? A counterfeit tarot deck. You get them a, a, a bog. You go be a bog witch. You get them a boglin to keep them company in the bog. Oh, God, I forgot about boglins. No, but um, books, obviously, right? The, the thing that everyone wants. Never have enough of them. Never have enough of them in magic. So. And I, you never read them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> their power isn't in reading them. Their power is having them stacked up on a bookshelf with a little star or something on it. That way people look at it and go like, whoa, they're the real deal. You got to be like Mumra <laughs> and uh, freaking Thundercats and just like come up with a book whenever you need something out of it. That's all you ever. That's the only time he ever reads. Mumra is the ideal like <laughs> chaos magician. He just comes up with random shit all the time. He sleeps in a fucking tomb. He's got a dog. <laughs> I wanted to go through the best selling occult and paranormal books on Amazon. And I figured we would just kind of look at them, say what we thought about them and go from there. Okay. So we're just, we're trying to give you holiday shopping recommendations for that special little, little spooky woo woo in your life. Yeah. Oddly enough, the number one selling thing is the practical witches almanac 2023 infinite spells. Good life. Let's see infinite what it says. Spells? That's uh, that is quite a sales pitch. Yeah. Infinite. Infinite. That spells. is the mum. That is the Mumra book. <laughs> <laughs> Ancient spirits of evil. Tell Joey to stop talking to me at the gym. <laughs> All right. The practical <clears throat> witch's almanac is your personal guide to the year. Celebrate the Sabbaths and work with the energy of the moon to achieve your goals. This edition has everything you've come to depend on, including, and then there's nothing else after it. It just says including, and then it goes to about the author. Well, because it's got the, it has infinite spells, so it's including everything. <laughs> it's including how to change this wretched form into Mumra, the ever-living. <laughs> so, do we want to hear about the author? I'll give you a, I'll give you a, a little taste. Her name is Friday Gladheart. Did her mama name her that? or I, I doubt it. I sincerely doubt it. Oh, Lord. All right. So number two is propaganda and the holy writ of the process church of the final judgment. That is like a hmm. mouthful as fuck. What the hell is this? OK, book? OK. That sounds I think I've heard that. I think I've heard of the church of the final judgment. Is it, it is is it what we do here where it's talking about propaganda and politics and and weird, spooky, crazy cults? Oh, wow. The rare and collectible Process Church magazines are back in print. Do you dare find out who rules you? So I guess. Oh, oh, it's who's got Johnny Francis' wife. Oh, no. Poor Johnny. I told him about them cults. The Process Church of the Final mm -hmm. Judgment inspired fear and devotion amongst London's swinging set. The Process Church magazines published between 1967 and 1971 the celebrated thematic magazines of the notorious process church of the final judgment cult were created to be hawked on the street in order to raise money and attract like-minded adherents to their unorthodox Gnostic theology. This name sounds so familiar. And I, I, yeah, yeah, that sounds so damn familiar, but I can't like nothing's coming to me, but so it's like a collection of magazines that this cult sold yeah. to get money for their cult. Yeah, apparently. Sex, fear, that and death. Sounds... Those are the three issues they have. Well, you know, they're... that sounds fascinating. Yeah, that's a, that's actually probably a good read. Maybe some people would be interested in buying that for people. That'd be pretty. 
That's kind of cool. Apparently, the author is a original member of the Process Church. Mm-hmm. Well, that's, that's interesting. That's sort of like the Heaven's Gate members that are still around running the websites. Oh, yeah. I keep forgetting about that. That's really, that's, that's actually that. And granted, that's the problem is that that's, that is like a, a Christian offshoot cult. So it's not necessarily in the same vein that most of our listeners are probably vibing with as far as their practice, but it does sound very interesting. Yeah. I mean, I, would I just, like reading about cults. Yeah. I would just be fascinated to see what these people were talking about. I'm always in the, I'm always in favor of unorthodox Gnosticism, I guess. Let's see. The next one's visions of the occult and untold story of art and magic. Who the hell are they talking? Who's, okay, who's can- untold story is it? That was the real question. Cause if it's just hers, I don't care. I don't want to read your journal. I don't know. Maybe it's about the, the overall, the overall undercurrent of occultism and art. I mean, that, that, that would cost, that could go back to William Blake too. You know, the, the visionary mystic. Oh, no bullshit. Freaking, uh, Blake gets mentioned in the product description. I'm not going to read all of it. Cause it's very, um, Swish. it's very, uh, it's very, uh, pompous pretentious yeah this lavishly illustrated magical volume acts as a potent talisman connecting the two worlds of tate the seen public collection and the unseen secrets lurking in the archive apparently it's actually about it's a survey of the occult collection of artworks and objects in the tate archive whatever the tate archive is so it's okay yeah so it's actually it's probably more about the art side of things than the magic side of things i suppose but I'm, you know, given that the whole bag of this is visions of the occult, it's probably just talking about the occult influence on art, which is pretty cool. I'm cool with that. That might actually be another. That actually does. Yeah. That doesn't sound bad. Yeah. So, wow, they're, 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 uh, two for three right now, but, oh man, eh, I'm not, I'm skipping. Cause some of these are just crap. It's like the turning point star wisdom volume five with monthly. God, who cares? Yeah, it's just some random fucking thing. I haven't, I haven't read volumes one through four. Yeah. Oh, let's see. We have the That's green bestseller. Yeah, it's like number. It says it's number fucking four. Yeah. We should come back to that at some point. Just, just run through them. Okay, so this is like another list that it's it's still occult and paranormal, but it's like. Like it, I, I'll put it like I just went through filters and it was occult and paranormal and then it was occult and paranormal again, so I think I just took one step out of occult and paranormal to get a slightly different list because Practical Witches Almanac is still number one, but number two on this one is Spirit Speaks, a step by step and evidence based approach to genuine spirit communication. I bet that's wild. Okay, I mean the that is a great. If that is actually what they're doing, then that's great. But it's always that thing of like, because we've had the conversation of like, you're never going to find a scientific underpinning for why magic works. You just, it's just not going to happen. But at the very least, if they're trying, you know, the method of science, the aim is religion sort of thing. If like, you know, if it's like, well, evidence-based approach, I guess that's probably really code for results-based approach. But, you know, that, that could be interesting. That's one of those that it's very, tr- it's very tricky because it's like, they could be like, this is based on evidence. And it's like the evidence is, you know, man, they did that study where somebody lost, y- you lose 18 grams after you die. That's how much the soul weighs. <laughs> All right. It's by Michael Mayo. 
Michael Mayo is a world-renowned and respected medium and spiritual teacher. He brings a practical, grounded, and evidential style to his spiritual work. That tells me absolutely nothing. They use the word evidence-based in here like 75 times, and it doesn't seem to actually mean anything. Like, it's just like, I, mean, I guess I would have to read it to actually figure out what this evidence is, but something tells me that it's bullshit. Well, again, if they're using evidence-based to mean results-based, as in if you do this, you will get this type of result, then I'm all for it. But at the same time, I I, I just never know how to feel because the fact is, is that I just, I don't trust most people when they talk about these sort of things. I, there's very few people who, when they want to talk to me about their spooky woo-woo stuff, I genuinely buy into it because most people are just not, like especially hate to say it like this but it's like i I don't want to use the word grift but i do think that there are people that have a a a profit motivation to embellish or manufacture these sort of things to sell it to you i think someone trying to sell you a book is already a reason to be a little weary of what they're saying not to say that like yeah don't ever buy a book telling you how to do something but you know, in, in, in areas like yeah. this, it's a little you have to be you have to be a little more discerning. How many people are going to write a whole book just making up how to do like an oil change in your car? That'd be crazy. Actually, I'm going to do that and see how many people buy it. Absolutely. <laughs> I'd, I'd buy it. But it's 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 just that thing of like, especially when someone has to harp home that it's evidence based. That's what sets. I think that's what triggers my. My uh, bullshit meter. Right, right. But at the same time, it, it could be good. It doesn't sound it doesn't sound like the worst thing. Okay. I found another list that is this is magic studies. And it doesn't have anything we talked about yet on it, so. All right, cool. All right, number 1 is Earth Witch by Britton Boyd. And it's it's described as <laughs> animist, witch, and herbalist Britton Boyd invites you to seek out the deep and mysterious connections with the earth that lie at the ancestral roots of witchcraft. She describes the path of the earth, which not as a linear journey of upward growth, but rather a cyclical one that ebbs and flows with the forces of nature that reflect the world around us. A path utterly different from the spiritual materialism that has crept into the witchcraft often found in today's capitalist culture. Oh, I feel like this is going to be really fucking bullshitty. Oh, man, like think about those dirty capitalists and the spiritual materialism they're trying to sell you. And I'm going to tell you about it in my book. Mm, mm, that's a that sounds a little bit like you're you say capitalism is bad, yet you own an iPhone. I mean, it is. It's it, it's exactly what it is, but it's still just my gut reaction to reading that. <laughs> I'm sure it's probably a decent enough book. But it just like um, the, I just describing it like the, using the the actual term spiritual materialism in the description of it already makes me start to get a little more critical. Like, OK, you're going to use that word. Well, let's what do you mean? Let's talk about this. Yeah. Well, I, I have a weird feeling that it's probably especially because they mentioned that herbalist, right? It's probably going to be a lot about the notion of making your own tools and harp, like growing your own herbs and stuff like that and being connected to the earth as part of your practice rather than going out and buying stuff, which I'm, I'm not, I'm not against that. 
drawing on her own experience hiking the the entirety of the Pacific Crest Trail, Boyd reminds readers that witchcraft has always been based in the energy of the land and that you can find all you need to practice mag- this magic right beneath your feet. I... I, again, well, maybe because I mean, I'm a KO. I go a step. Go, go ahead. I, I would say I go a step further in that, like, the only, the, arguably, the only magic tool that you need is your fucking finger. <laughs> you know? Sometimes I need the whole hand. <laughs> <laughs> Damn it. I, I walked right into that one. Or, you know, the, or even the, what, I don't remember who said it, but it's like if you can hold it in your mind, you can hold it in your hand, sort of thing. Right. Um, I, I guess, like, I don't have any issues with, like, naturalist magic people. I often feel like it's cope, just in the way that, like, it's a response to the ecological trauma that we've inflicted on the planet. And I think that a lot of the people that are into very naturalistic magic do it because they have strong opinions and feelings about that. I, on the other hand, uh, am I, I guess they I, should. Yeah, I, no, I'm not saying that they shouldn't, but I feel like that's what the, that's what it's about. It's about trying to have a connection to this thing that is fleeting and it all comes from a sort of terror, you know? Right. Yeah. And right. Again, not judging anybody. I, you know, I'm an existentialist because I, you know, my terror was waking up in a bed and being like, oh no, I'm still here. Shit. Yeah. Yeah. And but I, I guess the the argument, the other argument I can make too, is the idea of magic. If magic isn't about magic, isn't about the land. Magic is about wherever the hell you're at. You know, you don't need to go into the woods to do magic. You don't. Oh, city magic's the very real thing. That's what I was about to suggest. That too, the the notion of like the city, you know, the magic of the city, the magic of the room you're in, the magic of uh, you know the people you're around, that sort of thing. The, the magic of the weird kooky stuff that's going on inside your head. You know, there's magic isn't, if magic is about applying certain types of force to achieve certain types of ends, then it's all contextual. It's about where you're at and what you're trying to make happen. Just in the, the sort of, I guess the, the feel or the vibe like, would you do magic to get a job out in the woods? No. It, it doesn't, it feels weird, yeah, right? Yeah, I would do magic to never go back to my job in the woods, and the magic would be staying in the woods. <laughs> <laughs> all right, here. Well, um, I'm not going to read all of this list. Know that the next one was Modern Witchcraft with Greek Gods. It's just, it doesn't seem that interesting. Damn moderns. This one seems kind of cool in the way that it's like, this seems like a kind of magic gift book more than anything. Tea magic spells, rituals, and divination in your cup. Tea magic is a friendly introduction to part (laughs) of waking up is all the magic that's in my cup. I say, as I'm pouring my hip flask into my morning coffee, <laughs> Go on. Tea magic is a friendly introduction to all things tea. This comprehensive guide covers all six varieties, proper brewing methods, associated health benefits, magical correspondence, and tips for making your own blend. Wow, this is like actually like a tea book. This isn't a book that's like necessary. Will you get this for me? <laughs> yeah, sure. 
if you want it. Will you put this on? That That's what I want for Christmas now, because I'm just thinking of my multiple tea sets. <laughs> well, would would you actually be interested in some some tea magic? Like, is that a, I mean, he- just what did I what did I just say about <laughs> finding the magic and everything you're doing? Oh, that's good. That's cool. All right. Well, I got a gift for you this year. The other thing, though, I'm curious about is like is when she says magical correspondences, is that going to be like, is she going to bust out like some, some seven, seven, seven tables and like be like, yes, Earl Grey, oh, that man. is Hokma. That is Hokma. And it is the horned God. And it is also the color of, you know, the, I, I guess it's the color gray, isn't it? That's kind of stupid. And it's the planet. <laughs> of, it, it is the, it is the starry. It is the, the starry splendor of the Zodiac and this, that, and the other. Oh man. Okay. And it is also the hermit card or some shit like that. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, just to give people a taste of what else is going on here. There is an African gods Oracle, which is, just seems to be like a cool little deck using African symbology. That's all right. Oh, mm-hmm. uh, there is mountain magic. Explore the secrets of old time witchcraft. Yeah. Folk magic is very much like a big thing right now. Go into the mountains. Never come back. Yeah. Magic. Magic. <laughs> Oh, Mexican sorcery, a practical guide to Brujeria de Rancho. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of like a shit ton of folk magic. It's it's a mult. There seems to be a lot of multicultural magic going on right now, which is, you know, cool. There, there's a there's a conversation to be had in there. Um, well, it's funny, though, because right after always- that, you have Aleister Crowley manual, Thelemic Magic for Modern Times by picking fights with everybody Visconti. And then not too far down is Aleister Crowley in Paris. I love that song. (laughs) And uh, the witch's complete guide to crystals. Oh, man, a crystal one. I knew it was going to be in there. Okay, so here will be my my final thoughts on this. The real issue of occult books, right, is that you need probably about four. If, if there's a book you're getting that's like a particular niche of like we're exploring this specific thing and we're going to go really in depth about it, that's one thing. But for the most part, unless it's like, you know what, here, actually, here's, here's the four books you need, depending on whatever you're doing. There's the book that is going to give you like the basic outlines of magic in general, right? That could be like your your Lieber null, I guess. I wouldn't necessarily recommend that. But, you know, if you're a coyote, it's like that's your Lieber null. Then there's like the book you get because it's outlining a specific system that you're trying to get with, right? Mm-hmm. Then there's the book that exists to go like, this isn't even about a particular system. This is going into a niche of a niche of a particular tradition. This is like you're really getting in depth. And then like the fourth book is like the absolute batshit crazy book that is like, you know what? This is this is far out for me. And I believe in magic. You know, this is your Gnostic voodoo book or your your Typhonian trilogy uh, or or like your cyber magic book, you know, like the thing that is like something that's really far out on the fringe. But the fact is, is like, those are really about like all that is not only is that like the four books that you need, but that's really all you're going to find 
besides Drek. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Your horse magic book, your guide to crystals, your almanac, your mumra. Yeah. Almanac. <laughs> your mumra. I, I would buy the mumra almanac every year. The I, I think these or, are all nice little the, things the to have that, like a little paradigm work with. You know, if you if you buy green magic, how to get the most economy out of your magic or whatever, you know, and it, it's a thing that you do for a couple months to see what kind of results you get. That's cool. The problem with that being that, you know, once you go through it the one time, unless this happens to be your jam and it's the most enjoyable magic thing you've ever done in your life, it's just going to end up being a book that you have on your shelf and you're like, okay, yeah, I read it and I didn't get a whole lot out of it. The books that you continually get stuff out of are much bigger kind of scopes than stuff like, you know, oh, in fact, here's the one I want to end on. This one's called Revolutionary Demonology. <clears throat> the end times are here. Okay. The digital middle ages approach. The plague reaps its deadly harvest. Climate apocalypse is around the corner and fanatic fascism and madness are rampant. The idea that we might gain the upper hand over the dark abyss into which the planet is tumbling is a form of magical thinking, laboring under the delusion that we can subdue eternity with relentless bloodlust, brutish exploitation, abuse of power, and violence. Revolutionary demonology responds to this ritual of control, typical of what esoteric traditions call the dogma of the right hand by, by reactivating the occult forces of a left hand path that strives for the entropic disintegration of all creation so as to make peace with the darkness and nourish the great beast that will finally break the seals of cosmic love like what are you going to do my, with that my left hand is doing something right now I'll tell you that. <laughs> Grupo de Nun is a collective of psycho-activists based in Italy dedicated to organizing forms of covert resistance to heteropatriarchal dogma. I don't even think this is really a magic book. I think this is a political thing using magic as an aesthetic. No, I guarantee you there, this is going to be like some self-annihilatory uh, pseudo-mysticism shit where it's like, <laughs> this is like the, the nuclear dharma. <laughs> Oh. We will liberate all sentient beings into cosmic vapor. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I guess those, you uh, hopefully psycho we psychoactive psychoactivist <laughs> is probably the right word for them. <laughs> oh man. Uh, better than the Knights of Chaos. Yeah, still better than Knights of Chaos. At least I can kind of get behind heteronormative patriarchal societal structures and getting rid of them. But I mean, good fucking <sighs> luck is what I'm going to tell you. Jesus. Ugh. Stop trying to magic your way out of social problems. It's not going to work. It's never going to work. But or get, you got to do much better types of magic. Yeah. All right. Well, oh, I guess with that, you want to end with uh, our ongoing our ongoing segment. We're we're running really we're running pretty long here, but we can do one question, and that question will be. Well, hang on. This is we're reading questions from Interview with a Wizard by Peter Carroll. 
And what we've been doing is that we've been looking at the question, looking at Carol's answer, and then we've been giving our answers to them because a lot of them are sort of very general sort of questions. So I am going to basically flip it random here because there is pick a winner. There's multiple interviews and tons of questions. So let's see. Okay. Here's, here's like a really straightforward one. Is there such thing as evil? And Peter Carroll's answer is I cannot resist a doctor who idea here. Lots of creatures in the universe appear evil, but most of them are just hungry for something or other. Evil exists in the mind of the beholder. I doubt that any creature does evil for absolutely no reason or reward, though we may find the reasons and rewards unjustifiable or unrewarding. I've heard worse. Yeah. What, what, what do you think? Do you think there's such thing as evil? Evil is something that we strain towards to try to understand, I think. Evil's a word that we use for things that seems so beyond comprehension that we have to put a nice little word on it to make it something that is understandable. Mass murder and genocide, rape, the atomic bomb, you know, all these things that seem so, so ungraspable in the magnitude of what they actually do and the, the pain and issues they cause for others and sometimes just the sheer thoughtlessness of their existence and we have to use a word like evil to give us something to hold on to because if not then we just have to live with the ambiguity of does that make sense it does to me what about you evil is what the other guy does (laughs) our competitors (laughs) all those other occult podcasts those guys at last podcast on the left they're totally evil are they actually an occult thing i thought they were like a horror thing i don't know yeah it's they they branch out between a lot of things i've never listened to them i've only heard them once or twice i just know that they did something on crowley and someone told me to listen to it and i was like nah nah fam nope at least that one was a super short one but that gives us our little palate cleanser of how goes the work. How goes the work indeed. Well, you know, we uh, last episode, we, we gave you an ultimatum. So speak now and tell us the work that you have accomplished or be branded forever an armchair magician by the dear listeners. Okay, well, you'll be happy to know that I have been doing stuff all, all week. Yay! Um, I, I've, I've been making a concerted effort to actually do some, uh, you know, cause I, I'm right now I'm focusing on the sort of trance work sort of thing where you, you get yourself in a state where you can let images flow free and you deal with the symbols that you're dealing with and you try to, you know, the visualization sort of element to it, that sort of thing. Uh, the word in Lieber K is shamanic, but you know, it's, kind of an outdated and incorrect term i don't i just don't have a better one so i've been doing stuff with that because and i'll get a little personal my as i mentioned i think on the last episode or before that my my beloved got pretty ill and she's she's kind of stayed there and i've, I've been doing work trying to 
and don't get me wrong, besides doing like the actual stuff, like taking her to a doctor, making sure she's got her meds, bringing her stuff, getting, making sure she eats, you know, this, that, and the other, the, the actual taking care of stuff. I've been doing magic, trying to see if I can just, you know, get, get you, get you back going on your feet, hopefully. And, um, uh, I'm going to be honest. I, I, it's either very slow going or ain't working at all. So probably have to try something different. Well, never be afraid to but fail. The efforts in this there, so yeah, it's good. Yep, that, it's yep. good that you're doing something. Well, yeah. I will say it's like I love her to death too. It's like, I hate seeing her like that. Yeah. It's always tough. It's always tough seeing people go through things yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. How about you? Without saying too much, I have been working with the ninth degree and having a good time with it. Good old time. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. That's yeah. Sometimes that's probably the most concrete. That might be the most. These might be the most concrete answers either of us have given about what we've actually been doing. Well, you got to keep silent to a point, not because it won't work or anything, but just because. You know, we could do a whole podcast where we just talk about what we're actually doing and then get help from people, but that would probably just make it worse. It would definitely be worse than what we actually do. Well, and there's always that thing, too, where if you talk too much about it, it puts it too much in your forefront. And when you're at, if you spend too much time actively thinking about it, you can screw yourself up in a lot of ways, that sort of thing. But, you know, uh, I'm glad you're having fun. Yeah. Well, I'm glad you're doing stuff. So with that, yeah, yeah, this has been Chaos Magic News, the only podcast with apostolic secession from coast to coast. As always, if you find yourself in a beautiful house with a beautiful wife, don't ask yourself, how did I get here? Ask, how did you get here for your country? <laughs> I'm glad I let you get away with that one because the last two episodes I've been hopping in with something. Yeah, I actually wanted to wait for a second, but I figured, nah, this is a good one. But you can find us at Twitter at Chaos Magic News. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, Chaos Magic News, as you'd imagine. And as always, we have the website, chaosmagicnews.com, where we have articles, links to the pod, interviews with some of the latest and greatest of magic people, pretty much anything you could ever ask of us. And with that, OC No Steel, would you like the last word? Give Johnny Francis his wife back. <laughs> we did the show. <laughs> oh, well, and with that, we will see you next time. Thanks for listening. Bye. Sorry, darling. In the microwave. Going in the microwave. Go use the microwave. Going in the what, microwave. What, you use the microwave. What? What? Microwave. 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 Macrowave. How come no one's thought of it? Get at me, Elon. <laughs>